All right, so let's let's get started. So we're in the second week of um, a new series and uh, Bible studies for life, and we're we're on a, a series right now about women of faith. And uh, last week, Kurt kicked off uh, for us talking about Rahab. So I appreciate Kurt and your volunteering, and I heard he did a nice job. And I don't know what it is, but every time that I'm absent uh, here lately, where there's a topic that deals anything remotely with sex, Kurt ends up stuck with us. So any, any controversial topic in the future, please know it would probably be Kurt uh, <laughs> Sunday. Uh, but it was, it was a pleasure to be able to read your notes uh, this week and just what you covered. And uh, it's really, really cool. So thanks for giving me, giving me those. Uh, and fulfilling in. Uh, before we dive into the study today, uh, there were a couple of things that jumped out at me, um, both from what we've been doing uh, before this study uh, and, and also what happened today in, in worship. Um, sometimes when we're in that sort of collective worship environment, the, the preacher says some things that like you can just breeze right past, or there's some words that you sing that you kind of wonder, hey, what does that, what does that mean? And we're, we're in a time of discipleship, right? We're in a time of Bible study. We should, we should nail some of those things down. Uh, one of those for me today uh, was one of the songs that we sang, and it's a song by Hillsong, uh, and it says, my anchor holds, you know, in the veil, or, you know, you know, the, you know the verse that I'm talking about. Um, you ever stopped and thought about what that, what that means or where that comes from? You know the line I'm talking about? The verse I'm talking about? It repeats, right? My anchor holds in the veil. Yeah. Okay. So I can't sing. I'm not going to sing it to you. Um, but if you, uh, you start thinking about, okay, well, like, who's, who's Hillsong? Hillsong's an uh, Australian uh, group of singers. They got together in like the early 80s. Um, they were a church, basically they were a church praise band. And... Uh, a lot of them, like 12 of them, have now soloed and gone on to be on the Billboard charts. I mean, they're pretty, pretty well-known. But they actually lifted every single word of that song from a Baptist uh, hymn called Solid Rock that was written in, like, the 1830s by a Baptist pastor, last name Moat. Um, and then you start thinking about, okay, so where did, where did he get the line? Like, you know, where did this actually come from? And it comes from Hebrews 6, right? So these, these are the things that we're singing, but we need to connect the dots, right? So uh, as, as we try to connect those dots, I want to I go here to um, Hebrews 6. And then, anyway, there's, a, there's an entire story about this process of where Hillsong found the words of this and made a new song, and then this pastor connects all the scripture back to it. It's pretty cool. Um, and this is, this is where I'm going to get EJ involved here in just a second. But uh, Hebrews 6. Yeah, I'm going I'm to bring, bring this all the way back to something you mentioned to me at a party uh, a few weeks ago. So Hebrews 6. And uh, we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. Will somebody read that for us? 6, 19, and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. 
he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, EJ was asking me about Melchizedek, and he's, he's found very early in the Old Testament, and uh, here, we, here we are coming back, and we're talking about this guy again, right? This, this isn't happenstance. I hadn't heard that name in 20 years, and now in a matter of three or four weeks in a row, we're, we're all talking about this same guy, Melchizedek. Uh, but this, this line actually comes from the, this idea that Jesus, when he died, that veil that was separating us from the presence of God was torn, and that he went before us. And he also sort of connects this concept of, you know, the preachers before that or priests would have to be tied off around the waist with a rope. And they went behind the curtain and they would have that rope on them just in case they died, they would drag out their corpse, right? So this guy is now saying, because Jesus has gone in front of us, you know, we kind of have this anchor that, that hangs in that, that veil, right? It's, it's a very interesting concept. So just know when you're singing that stuff, there's, there's a lot behind what, what you're singing. The other thing that, that really stuck with me today uh, that the pastor was talking about, he was talking about exercising uh, the demons from Mary Magdalene, and he just in passing said that all authority in heaven and earth belong to Jesus. And I thought it would be important for us to remember where that comes from and who actually said that the authority in heaven and in earth belong to Jesus. Does anybody remember who said it? and where it's located. I knew it was in Matthew, but it's in Matthew 28. And let's take one guess. Who said it? The answer is always Jesus, right? The, Baptist, the answer to every Baptist question is always Jesus. Yeah, so uh, it's, in, it's in Matthew 28, and it's verses 18 through 20. Uh, and then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So when he was talking about breaking the chains of you know, addiction or, or demon possession and the one that could cure that, he was talking about Jesus, and Jesus gave the authority to himself, which is pretty cool. Anything else from today that stuck out for you we need to chase down? No? Okay. Cool. Uh, and if you need a book, there's a whole stack of books over there. We started with one per family. I think there's enough to where if you want an extra one, there's, uh, there's plenty over there. All right, so today we're talking about Deborah, and uh, we're going to be reading in Judges. Uh, Judges is not a, a book that we spend a lot of time uh, reading uh, normally. And uh, where, where Deborah kind of falls in the line of Judges, uh, Deborah is right here. And... Uh, there are 12 judges, and she's the only female, uh, which is pretty exciting. And, in the, and we're talking about women of faith. Uh, I think it's very cool that uh, we have one that's serving as a judge uh, in, in uh, Canaan, in Israel. Uh, so the point of this lesson is really to use our influence uh, for God's kingdom and to, to honor him. And um, I, I have some questions for you here. Um, have you ever had someone that saw leadership potential in you that you didn't see in yourself? Has anybody ever experienced that? Keep asking me to teach Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, what? Are you doing a pod today? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned that, but you actually keep volunteering. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've been volunteering quickly. Actually, so quickly last time, I'm not sure anybody else got a shot, but I really appreciated that. It was a strong encouragement for me. Anybody have that, that experience where someone actually encouraged you or maybe believed more in you uh, than you thought about yourself? Either to start a ministry, to do something for the kingdom, or, or maybe just in life. Anybody have that example? No? Robert? I was back at a lube shop in Illinois, and uh, I was an assistant manager. And uh, the manager had incidentally left a drain plug loose, blew up an engine, and the regional manager came in and told me, well, you're manager. I'm like, uh, are you sure? He's like, yeah. You're fine. I didn't see him again for about two months. I ran the store myself, so it was kind of, uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it could be sort of overwhelming, a little bit humbling. Sometimes it could be a surprise. Uh, ever, have you ever been nominated for something that you weren't expecting or didn't feel worthy of? I see some heads nodding. Um, nobody wants to share, okay. Um, so we're, we've got a little bit of that in this story as well, uh, where it's not just about Deborah, it's actually about some people around Deborah as well. Uh, and she actually has some, uh, some influence and belief in people around her. Um, and she's not also just a judge, she's also a prophet. And she's carrying forth God's plan, uh, and she's delivering that plan to some other people. And we're going to see how they respond uh, throughout this. Um, so um, the, the setting. So the book of Judges really covers the history um, after they've settled in Canaan. And it goes up until the time of, of Samuel. Um, and it's kind of a dark period for uh, the children of Israel. It starts off on the wrong foot. Uh, and do you remember how it starts off on the wrong foot? Remember they, they cross into the promised land. They go there and they're going to conquer these people. And what do they do? Well, first of all, they're scared they don't want to go, but they do ultimately go. But what does God hold them accountable for? What's, what's the first big mistake they make in the process of settling? They didn't wipe people out. They didn't wipe them out. Yeah, they didn't wipe them out. They spare some people. They spare some stuff. And they, they enter into another period of judgment. And the book of Judges is really an interesting story where it's like they sin, they get forgiven, they come back to God, and then they repeat. And then they sin, they get judged again, they come back to God and repeat. And this goes on for year after year after year, cycle after cycle after cycle. Um, and this is that period that we're in. They're literally in the promised land, but they're not enjoying it. They're actually under heavy rule from a, a fairly nasty king uh, in, in the area. And it's because they didn't do their job. They didn't follow through with what plan God had given them. Um, but in the midst of all of that, there are these incredible judges uh, that are helping to guide the people. And they're not just judging matters of day-to-day -day operations. They're also serving as prophets, uh, which is a, a really cool thing. Um, so if you don't know yet about the story of Deborah, uh, the, the, lady's, the lady's tough, um, and she's, uh, she's a good judge. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and where, where she's at 
uh, here. So we know that there's a battle that's going to happen up in this area, uh, but they're actually down here. Yeah, so they're, they're down in this area around in here. And then later in the story, there's going to be a, a, big, a big battle up in that area. Um, so this, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about influence. And uh, one of the questions we want to start with is, who do you know that's a good influencer? Who do you know that's good at influencing others? Do we have any examples? Just people in, in society, people in history, people from your favorite movie. Give me an example of someone who is a, a good influence <coughs> on others or influential. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. There's, there's a good one. What was so influential about Billy Graham? He was just a powerful speaker and people just flocked to him because God gave him yeah. a win. Yeah, I mean, the guy filled stadiums, right? And when he did a, a, a call to come forward for salvation, I mean, like the whole place moved. Clearly, the hand of God was on him and, and uh, in his work. Pretty incredible. How about another one? Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias. See, I don't even know who that is, but tell me what, what's what's influential about him. Uh, well, he came to Christ at a young age, and I know he dealt with like depression and suicide one and two, and then he found Christ, and he's been traveling ever since. One of my go-tos as far as um, anybody know defense of the faith. Yeah, it's good at teaching you how how to explain your faith and defend. Okay, cool. And there's another guy just I think two hours north of here. Have you ever Ken Colton? <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. But have you ever have you ever bored? Listen to a hundred. Look on YouTube. A hundred uh, reasons evolution is stupid. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually very, yeah. it's very good. It's got a two-hour video. EJ turned me on to it. I watched it. It is actually very good. Cool. All right. How about some others? People of influence. What's that? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. And what is it about Tebow that you find influential? It's just outspoken. He's got a platform. Yes. Integrity. Yeah. With all these guys. Cool. Any others? I like Russell Moore. Anybody know who Russell Moore is with the ERLC, Arnold Center Baptist Convention? Okay. ERLC is Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And then the Arnold Southern Baptist Commission, he's the head of it. And I I appreciate how he is pushing the Southern Baptist Convention on issues that I think need to be pushed, like racial reconciliation and the abuse that's happened in churches. Cool. Yeah, we, we live in an era where there are a lot of influencers, right? And I, in, in the process of doing this study, even learned that the term influencer apparently is like some new thing. Um, there are people that are influencers, and that's their job. Um, to me, it's like a weird form of marketing. But apparently, uh, if you're extremely fit uh, or uh, courageous, uh, you can pretty much be an influencer. I think what it takes is, yeah, it's almost stupid courage and, and perhaps a bathing suit. Uh, and you take uh, these fairly risky-like pictures in strange places around the world and you draw attention to them through social media like Instagram and Facebook and things like that. 
and they have millions and millions of followers that want to see the next crazy photo that these people take, which is really weird, right? Those are not the influencers that, that we're talking about today. We're talking about influencers that actually move uh, people in the direction of the faith or to exercise their faith. Uh, it's certainly not from a selfie. Uh, at least I hope not. Um, so uh, what we should do, we should, we should dive in and read in Judges. Um, so let's, the first passage is in Judges 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And just a, a warning, um, there's some hard words in, in the passages today. Um, just struggle through them, just sound them out, do the best you can. Um, so can we get a reader for Judges 4, 1 through 5? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. For the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. You say one to four? Uh, through five. Okay. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lepidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Yeah, so uh, there, there are some people, there are some characters involved in this first passage that we need to talk about. Uh, the first is Ehud, uh, and it says that now that Ehud was dead, so they're kind of setting up the timetable. Um, anybody remember who Ehud is? He went in and stabbed the really overweight guy with a knife. Yeah. The knife disappeared inside the guy, basically. Yeah, so there's some interesting stories about uh, Ehud. Um, and one of, one of them is apparently he was left-handed. Right. Why, you know? Yeah. Interesting characteristic. As a fellow lefty, I saw that and I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, he was from, a, uh, remember which tribe he was from? Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah, so he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Interesting. Um, and he, he led Israel during a really tough time of oppression. Um, so what about this king, uh, Jabin? He's not a good dude, right? Israel's under his leadership. Um, because they've, they've sinned again. And that's how the passage starts. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's this series we're talking about. They, they repeat this. Well, in this particular case, they end up uh, under the rule of Jabin, uh, the king of Canaan. And uh, isn't it strange, right? They were given the promised land, but now Canaan has a king whose name's Jabin, right? And he's, he's not one of them. <laughs> he's ruling them. So it goes back to the original sin of they didn't wipe these people out. Um, he's especially cruel uh, to basically this half of the kingdom. And there are six tribes that, that uh, will, will fill this area. Uh, and here in a minute, we're going to talk about some names that uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you're going to see them resurface. And it was an area we talked about being oppressed. It's an area we talked about Jesus going back to over and over and over again. We're going to hear about these people again uh, today. Uh, how about Sisera? Sisera was the commander of Jabin's army, uh, and he's, he's a really smart, tough guy. He's created chariots that are armored with iron. Uh, what are Israelites using for weaponry during this period of time? 
they have they really have three things. They've got some some ill-fashioned like soft metal knives, right? They're not hardened steel knives. They've got some spears, and then they've got bow and arrows. And apparently, this dude has got chariots pulled by horses, and they're armored in iron. Um, so they're seen as a very formidable army. Uh, anybody catch how many of those they have? They have 900 of those, uh, and each one of those can carry three to four guys, right? So from an armament perspective, he's, he's well-equipped. Um, he's also known for being particularly nasty. Uh, and then you have Deborah. Uh, what, what are some of the things that popped out when they, when they spoke about Deborah? Who she is, what she's doing, what stuck out for you? Says she's a prophet, says she's the wife of Lapidoth, and then it says was leading Israel at that time. Right? So she'd become kind of de facto head honcho uh, in, in this environment, which is pretty cool. She's not just one of the judges. It says that you know she's leading. She's seen as, as the leader. And uh, she's set up in some hill country. There's a palm of Deborah. People know where to find her, right? She set up shop. She's not hard to find. Um, but she's doing this under the rule of a very strict king with a big army with a particularly nasty general. But yet, nobody's bothering her. They know where to find her, right? I mean, clearly either she's not stirring up a lot of trouble or they don't want anything to do with her. Um, one or the other or maybe both. So, uh, are there any uh, are there any Deborahs in your life? Any female leaders that you look up to that are standing strong in the faith? Anybody you can think of? Some people in says, uh, you know, typically what people would bring to, to Deborah, they would bring their problems that they couldn't solve themselves. When you think about some of those ladies you go to when you're having a tough decision to make uh, and things like that. Um, so I, I think she was probably more than just a judge. She was probably also somebody that people trusted. So let's flip over here. All right, let's go a little further and let's uh, go further in Judges 4 and let's read verses 6 through 9. This is where the story starts to get a little interesting. Somebody read 4, 6 through 9 for us. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. 
Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of this passage, and uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Did anybody uh, catch the, the name of the region that we've been talking about the last few weeks? Chastity actually read it a few weeks ago. It's Naphtali. Do you remember what's near Naphtali? Sebulum. Those names start to remember, remind you. And in those stories that we were reading about, we were talking about these people being oppressed over hundreds of years, uh, and then Jesus actually having favor <coughs> upon them. This is some of the oppression that that was <coughs> talking about. So again, we found this like connection to something we were freestyling and doing a few weeks ago. It's, it's come right back in front of us again today. Um, so she sent for Barak, and, um, and she knows that this, this prophet, uh, this uh, um, prophetic uh, message that she has is for him. Uh, it's not for her to go. It's, it's actually for him, and she summons him. And he's from this area, right? He's part of the oppressed people. Um, and uh, she basically lays it all out of exactly who he's supposed to take, where he's supposed to go, and exactly how it will go down. Um, and that's one of the things that you should, you should really test when you hear a prophetic message. You know, is it a specific place? Is it a specific number, a specific time, a specific outcome? Uh, do you remember what the scripture says about prophets? How often do they have to be right to be considered a prophet? All the time. Right? So that's one of the ways we're to test prophets is that they're always accurate. Uh, and what we see from the prophets from the Bible uh, versus, say, someone that might claim to be a prophet you may see on a television program today, they're talking in specifics. There's no, I'm seeing a woman who, you know, has <laughs> blonde hair, right? Or, you know, there's none of that. This is take these people to this place, this number, this time, and this is what's going to happen. Um, how does Barack uh, respond? I'll go if you go. Yeah, I'm only going if you're going. <laughs> ever, ever been there? I'll go if you go. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting uh, thing there. Um, and it says here um, to take ten thousand men from Nephtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. So again, we're down here somewhere. Mount Tabor's up here, so it's a pretty good, pretty good hike. And if you notice, you know, there's terrain showing on this. This is all mountainous. So you know, you're gonna have to, you know, there's no straight way to Mount Tabor, more than likely. And you're gonna go with 10,000 people from Nephtali and Zebulun. Uh, that's pretty much gonna be uh, every able-bodied uh, male is going. That's, that's when you're thinking about population wise, that's pretty much gather all the guys, armor up with what you have, and head out. This is how it's going to go down. Um, so what's interesting though, is it says, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, which is here. Mount Tabor's over here, so take all your folks, go up here, 10,000 uh, yeah, 10, of you, with all your stuff, and then it says, I will lead Sisera to the Kishon River Valley, which is over here, and it says, and then I will give him into your hands. Interesting. We're not even in the same place. Who's, who's planning to whip the army of Sisera? 
God's planning to whip the army of Sisera, and then he's just going to deliver them into his hands, but he's held up over here. He's got 10,000 dudes over here. The 10,000 dudes are not meeting in the Kishon Valley to have a fight with Sisera, who has all the 900 chariots. You find that interesting in the story? Why are the 10,000 going on the journey? They're going to witness God working. They're not even, they don't realize it. They're probably scared to death, right? You imagine picking up your spear and you're like, hey, I'm going to go out and fight these guys in these chariots and everything, and we're sending us up to Mount Tabor, and we're going to be totally wasted and tired when we get there because it's rough terrain all the way there. But the story says that they're going to get their tail kicked in Kishon, <laughs> which is not where you're going. Kind of a cool thing. Interesting. But even with that, Barak says, I'll go if you go. What's Deborah's response? She says, let's, let's mount up. Let's go. Giddy up. You know any ladies like that? Tough. Ready to battle. Kurt just pointed at someone. <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay for, for ladies to be tough. Right? We've got an example here of a tough lady. Clearly God entrusted her with a lot, the ability to make decisions and judge the affairs of other people. Uh, but also she says, all right, let's, let's go. Is she going expecting to put on armor and to shoot bows and arrows and spears? No. She knows the story, right? She made it clear he wasn't going to get the credit for it, too. She made it clear that he wasn't going to get the credit for it. I'm going to go to that in just a second. Because there is one final prophetic word about this for Barak, and that is that he, he, neither he or his people are going to get any glory in this, right? And that's not even the plan. Right? The plan is for God to get the glory of this. God's actually going to whip this army. But there's some other detail that we're not going to read about today, uh, and it's that final prophetic message that the, uh, what, what little action there will be for the army, it, it won't go to a man. It's going to go to a woman. Uh, how many of you right now are thinking that that woman's Deborah? It's not. It's yet another <laughs> that, that God raises up, and it's, uh, it's a really, really cool uh, thing. Um, so uh, anybody, anybody have one of those ladies in your life that if you're going to go through something tough, that's the person you're going to call? So in, in what ways in this did Deborah demonstrate strong leadership? What are some things that if you were telling this to, for example, your teenage daughter, what would you pull out and share and say, these were the things that, that Deborah did that were impressive? How did she show strength? Well, specific instructions. Yeah. A lot of him and and well, I think, she said it was going to happen. So she's, yeah, she's really resolute, right? Mm -hmm. um, she has the faith to hear the prophetic word and to believe it. Um, and then she actually starts taking action, right? She, she does exactly what God told her to do, and that was to call somebody else, right? Um, that, that's often one of the hardest things for a leader to do, is to hear a call and then to hand it off. If you've ever been in a leadership role, it can be really hard to stop being the doer, 
and here she is leading Israel, and God tells her, hey, here's the prophetic word, but you get to delegate it to somebody else. Um, that, that can be a really hard thing uh, to do. Anybody ever have a boss that did the boss's job and your job too? Ever have one of those? Boss that played in the weeds? Yeah. It's not cool, is it? No. It's pretty unempowering, actually. Um, what about a boss that never paid any attention to what you were doing and just dumped everything on you? Ever have one of those? Delegate and disappear. <laughs> right, delegate and disappear, right? So the best leaders walk this tightrope. They walk this fine line of doing enough, empowering the right people, uh, but not, you know, not doing too much to where they're micromanaging, but not doing too little to where they're, they're completely worthless, right? So think about your manager next time you go into your job, if you, if you work, and just think about, is my, is my manager walking this tightrope of, giving me responsibilities and then letting me take action? Or are they you know, completely worthless? This is, this is the same tightrope that Deborah's walking, right? God's speaking to her, he's giving assignments, and she's doing it the right way, she's delegating, but she's clearly very engaged herself because when she delegates, the guy says, I only go if you go, and she says, let's go. Again, that's something a good manager would do, right? If, hey, I need help. A good manager shows up and would help you. That's what she's doing. Um, all right, so let's let's go to Judges five and let's read one through five. So they read that for us. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, "When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord." Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. Yeah, so uh, what, what are they doing here? What's this, what's this all about? Praising God. Praising God. Right? I don't, I don't totally understand the song. Right? It's hard to even get it to a beat. I mean, it's a weird song. Right? But they're, they're talking about the characteristics of God. They're talking about things God has done in the past that they have witnessed. That's the very thing that we did in worship today or you'll do later if you're in the second service. Right? They're doing exactly what we're doing. If they heard some of our songs today, they might not like the way Joe does it, right? I mean, they, they, they might not understand all the detail, but that's, that's what they're doing here. Uh, when, when and where are they doing this? How long between when she had this conversation with Barack about their going until they're singing this? Same day. So again, that, that question of her being resolute and following through and taking action, when he says, I'll go if you'll go with me, she says, okay, let's go, they're going. It's not like, hey, let's think about it a couple of weeks, let's get a couple of committees together, that kind of thing. They're, they're going, and they're going praising God, right? So uh, is Barack as uh, weak as we pictured him just a few moments ago? No, no. You see that a lot. 
I think, in the in the modern church. Just somebody that they need they need a little encouragement. They need a little uh, helper to bring them along. Uh, but now here he is. He's out in front of the army, and he's with Deborah, and they're they're singing praises as they go. So I think I think Barack got it together, which is pretty cool. Um, so in, in what ways can we uh, be an influence for God in the places that we live, we work, attend school, or volunteer? What are some of the ways that we can, what are some of the things we can pull out of this story to be an influence where, where we're operating, where God has us? Well, we can speak boldly and we can show integrity by letting our actions and our words match up. Work alongside people. Yeah, work alongside others. Yeah. Be a person of action. Let our words mean what we say. Any others? I, I think that the same God that is speaking to Deborah is the same God we serve today and that he's still speaking. I just wonder if we're listening. I just wonder if we need some people that will just be people of prayer and, and be open to what he's telling them. Um, I don't think he was speaking uh, uniquely. Uh, well, I think he probably was to Deborah, but I, I think God's still looking for people that are listening for his voice. Do you think God still gives specific details and instructions and times and places and actions to take? It hasn't changed. Word says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So uh, I think his character is still the same. I think he's still speaking to people. Um, that's another way where, where I think we can be effective. I know too. For me, I, I think I just need to be more consistent with things. Yeah. What do you What do you mean by being more consistent? Uh, just you know, especially when I hear like the Holy Spirit talk to me, just you know, being grounded in that and uh, doing what EJ wants to do. Yeah, what are, what are some of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us? And what, what's, what are some of those situations where we can be more faithful? We talked about one when we're setting up for the prayer time, right? And that was Stuart doesn't know when he's, what time he's going to have surgery on Wednesday. But I said, when Stuart comes to mind, pray for him. And I, I made a little passing statement. That's how this works. Uh, that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit works, right? Holy Spirit actually prompts us, and, and the Word says He actually gives us the words to pray even when we don't know what to pray. So whenever we have those uh, those feelings of, I feel like I really need to pray for this person, just start praying. That's one of those actions of the Holy Spirit. Are there others? He gives us the words to say in difficult situations when we need to speak truth into something. Yeah. Not sure what to say. He also provides awareness to where God's working around us, right? You can be going through your routine, and all of a sudden something stops you, right? And you wonder, why did that gather my attention, right? It's having that presence to know that this could be the Spirit of God speaking to me, that I need to intervene here, I need to do something. Interesting, interesting stuff. Okay, so this, this week, just to have some action... Uh, it says some of the actions that we can take uh, are to send a note of thanks to someone who's been a positive influence in your life. Uh, basically encourage the encourager because there aren't a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and then uh, 
uh, praise. Look at how God has worked in your life and praise him. Use time in the car, either listening to music or others. Make your commute one of praise and worship, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then embrace the call. Consider how God may be calling you uh, to take some specific action. Um, we'll kind of wrap up here, but how, how does the story end with this battle? Do you, do you know? How it all goes down. So up here along this Kishon River, uh, the men with all the chariots and all that, uh, they, get, they get slayed. Um, somebody survives, though, and it's Sisera, who's the leader. And he flees from that area alone, apparently either lone survivor or you know one of the few. Uh, and he stumbles out of that area, and he finds a lady with a tent. And he goes to the lady in the tent, and he says... I need some water, I need a place to lay down and rest. Clearly he's been in battle uh, and he's, he's tired. Anybody remember who the lady is? Yeah, J.L. And she gives him some water. She brings him into the tent. He lays down. And then he tells her, go and stand in the door. And if anyone comes to the door, tell them I'm not here. Right? <laughs> and she goes and she stands in the door uh, the person he's running from is the Lord. <laughs> she goes and stands in the door, and at some point, she determines that, and I, I think, yeah, God probably visits her, but yeah, she takes a, stent, uh, a tent stake and jams it through his temple and kills him. So she's the one that the, the story when Deborah says that it, the glory will be given to a woman, not a man, She's the one that actually finishes off Cicero. And it makes me wonder who came to the door, <laughs> right? Maybe God came to the door, you know? That's who he's fleeing from. <coughs> but interesting finish to the story. Um, questions or comments today? We should wrap there. Just one of the things we covered last week was a little, you know, belief leads to faith leads to action. Yeah. You, you get all over the action today. Yeah. Cool. Others? Okay.